morning, we got a real treat for you behind me on the stage here. You can see uh, one of our pastors here, associate pastor, Nathan Brown, also served as our worship director. And so Nathan and his wife, Ashley, have been members here for 11 years, 11 year, years here in this church. He's got four children. Uh, we, the church brought him on full time in August. And this Philip, as you saw up here, Philip transitioned out. And I've had the privilege of working with Nathan over the past several months. And let me tell you, Nathan's heart is for you. It's for this church. Uh, he's a hard worker. He loves being here. loves God's people. He pastors many people. So uh, we're just we're very grateful for him. But Nathan can do a lot more than sing and play guitar. He's also a great communicator. He teaches in our foundations courses and he's going to be working with one of our grow courses. And so uh, he's got a lot of talents. Uh, but he's got a big, even bigger heart for God and for you. And so would you guys please welcome this morning, Nathan Brown. Thanks for, thanks for having me. It really is an honor to be a part of this church. We do love it here. We've been here for a long time. And um, it, honestly, it, it was an easy decision to come and invest our time here. Um, I had said at one point I'd never work for a church again. And I felt pretty good about that, except that this church came calling, and I love this church. So I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. So with that, let's get right into it. Um, we're talking about the wisdom of worship today. Wisdom of Worship. We're going to do that in three parts. We're going to first talk about the fool and his revelation. We're going to ask a question, what's the motivation? Try to answer that by digging into the way of consecration. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Proverbs chapter 30. If you don't, you look at the screens. We're going to go through this. I'll even read it for you. Here we start with verse 1. The words of Ager, the son of Yakah, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I'm weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I'm more stupid than any man. The understanding of humankind is not for me. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who's established the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And that's our text for today. I do want to point out real quickly, depending on what version you're reading from, your version may say something like, uh, to Ithiel and to Ucal. The, the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ucal. The reason for that is some of our Bibles attempt to be literal translations. So they'll take a Hebrew word, here's the English word. But with Hebrew, we find often that the, the words, while it may be a name or a place, there's a meaning to it. The version we've read from today tries to help us understand the meaning. So the meaning of those words that you may see in a different translation. Translation means, I'm weary, O oh God. I'm weary, O oh God, and worn out. Well, that out of the way, here we are in the middle of a wisdom series, and we open up to Proverbs 30, and our man Ager decides, I'm going to build some confidence in you by letting you know, hey, I'm stupid. <laughs> I'm stupid. And by the way, not only am I stupid, but I'm ready to die. I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. And you know, as funny or maybe as troubling as that may seem, I do appreciate the contrast between Ager and Solomon. Solomon wants to tell you how smart he is, how wise he is. In fact, he even opens up Ecclesiastes by saying, look at me, I've become great. I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ever come before me. Now contrast that to Agur who comes and says, hey, uh, I'm stupid. I have no human wisdom at all. But then stupid Agur drops some real wisdom and revelation on us. Matter of fact, I think that he's uncovered a new covenant truth and slipped it in to an old covenant book. I want to show you this. We're going to 
take a quick look. I think some of you call it 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 3, <laughs> verses 18 and 19. It says this, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. What this is trying to tell us is that if you just want to be clever, you can be clever. You can even understand doctrine and be clever. Did you know that? You can be clever and understand doctrine. But what you don't get with cleverness is revelation. The Bible says that if we want to get wisdom, we have to first come to terms with our foolishness. See, it's after anger considers himself to be stupid that he gets his first revelation. It's really the revelation of humility. As New Covenant believers, this is a revelation that we, could, we should walk in. We're called to walk in it. And some of us will say, oh yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. And somebody else is smarter than me. And we play off. We have something actually called false humility. Which, by the way, is just pride. And when all you know how to walk in is false humility, well, you might figure some things out, but you won't get revelation. But here, anger, having gotten the revelation of humility, now he sees God rightly. He sees himself rightly. He can now sit in awe and wonder of God. <clears throat> Come out and say, God, I'm a fool. I don't have anything of human wisdom, but I stand in awe of you. I stand in awe of you, right? Who has set the boundaries of the earth? Who's wrapped all the water in his hands? He almost starts to sound like the psalmist saying, Oh, Lord, I'm Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Who one can, no one can compare to your glory. No one can confound you. No one can confuse you. No one can comprehend you. No one can even understand you. You are God. I'm not. And in the middle of this worship service, he gets a revelation. And here's what it is. He says this. What is his name and what is the name of his son? For surely you know. Did you catch that? See, the Old Testament is full of references to a coming deliverer, to a Messiah. They all are, were expecting something, but very few of them were expecting a son. Maybe only the eagle-eyed prophet Isaiah or David even seemed to understand it quite like this, that the Son of God may actually be the one to come. You see, it was Anger first getting a revelation on humility that allowed him to see God rightly, see himself rightly, to stand in awe of God, which then led to this greater revelation that almost no one in the Old Testament ever figured out. See, if you want to become wise, you must first become a fool. If you want to get God's wisdom, you must become a fool. You must come to terms with the greatness of who God is. See, it's only when we start to see God rightly, we comprehend His splendor and His dread. We learn to fear Him and adore Him. Then we get revelation, and that's why it's wise to worship. That's why it's wise to worship. When we come into worship, though, we have to ask ourselves, what is our motivation? What's our motivation? See, motivation can make a huge difference in both why and how you do something, right? You know what you're doing, but why are you doing it? That helps understand and help you with how you're doing it. Some of you may know that I'm a lifelong Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Like two people in here. Maybe just one. I know, Colt McCoy hadn't gotten hurt. It was only a different. Are you over that, Gerald? Have you gotten over that yet? Dude. Gerald's a favorite target. That's okay. That's, I know, it's still, it's still still fresh. That's okay. Well, listen, I happen to be an Alabama fan. There's a great uh, story in Alabama football lore that helps us understand a little something about motivation, and it goes something like this. It was late in the game. There's about a minute left. The Crimson Tide are up by two points. The problem is, is they're all the way back in the other team's territory of the field. Bear Bryant, the late great, wise Bear Bryant, does something kind of crazy, I think. He taps his four-string quarterback. He says, come here, young man. Listen, I need your help. I need you to take this ball, go run it up the middle. You're just going to run up the middle. You're going to get tackled once, twice, three times, and then we're going to punt the ball. Under no circumstances do you hand this thing off or pass it. 
No matter what you do, don't pass the ball. Protect it with your life. Go up the middle. Yes, sir, coach, I think I got it. So he goes, and they start running plays. Much to his surprise, the coach's surprise, the fan's surprise, certainly other teams' surprise, this four-string quarterback begins to get first down after first down after first down. The next thing you know, he's deep into the enemy territory, and all of a sudden, temptation overtakes instructions, and he throws the pass. The problem is... He's the four-string quarterback. The safety saw it coming all along. He knew what was happening. He broke on the ball, picked it off. He's headed back the other direction. And now our four-string quarterback's got a problem. He takes her off, turns around, running after this dude, chasing him. Oh, my gosh, he's running as hard as he can. He's never breathed so hard in his life. He gets inside the five-yard line. He tackles the guy just short of the goal line. The gun sounds. The game's over. The whole place is in a frenzy. The two coaches come to meet in midfield. The opposing coach looks at Bear. He's literally pulling his hair out, and he said, How did your four-string quarterback catch the fastest man on my team? Well, the Bear says, That's easy. Says your man was running for a touchdown. My man was running for his life. <laughs> See, there's a there's a big difference when you know why you're doing something and how you go about doing it. This is often the case, I think, with worship. And so I want to talk to you about some of the differences between praise and worship because our why can even just sort of inform us about what it is that we're doing. So you can praise God for things that you have. By the way, everyone should praise God. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's you, that's me, right? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But when you're praising God, it goes something like this. Well, I praise you because I have shoes on my feet. I praise you because I have clothes on my body. I thank you for having a roof over my head. I praise you for the job that I have. I praise you for the nice car I get to drive. I praise you for my wife and for my family and for my health. And so the one praising God is praising him for the things that he has. But oh, the worshiper standing over here saying, God, if I don't have any shoes, I worship you. If I don't have a house, I will worship you. If I don't have the car I want or maybe a car at all, I'm still going to worship you. If I don't have the wife of my dreams, I'm still going to worship you. Even when my health may fail me, my God, still I will worship you. Because I've seen you for who you are. I know who you are. You stand outside of it all. You're above it all. You are God. I am not. I don't need you to prove yourself to me. I don't need a Santa Claus, a sugar daddy, somebody to take care of me. I just need to know that you are there. I just need to hear your God. Your presence is so valuable to me. Your love is so valuable to me. Oh, God, you are so valuable to me. Did you feel that? That's what real worship starts to feel like. Now let me say this, worship's not some things too. Worship may feel exciting, but it's not exciting. Worship will change how you feel, but it's not emotionalism. It's not goosebumps, shakes and quakes, and tears flowing down your face. It might come by way of music, but it's not a musical performance. You know, some of you come in here, like me, and you hear Marie sing in the way that only she can She's been making me cry for like 10 years. Thank you. It's like a joke in my house. Oh, there's Marie. Look at that. He's crying. She sings those high notes, and they're so beautiful. And we, we know her, and she helps pull us into worship. And you see her. Maybe that's who you identify. Oh, now I can worship. Or maybe you come in here, and you see Beth, and you know her story. And you watch her worship through her tears and fears and pain, and you think, now I can worship. Well, let me say, I'm glad that they've helped you out. But I do have a question. What happens when they're not around? See, my hope for you, my hope for me, my hope for all of us is that we get to a place in God where we don't need any help. It's easy to come in here when the music is right. Maybe it's your style. We pick the songs that you like. The volume is the way you like it. And you think, oh, okay. Okay, now I can worship. 
And I get that. And let me just say to you that here at Mosaic, we do care about trying to speak the heart language of different people. You heard a great message about it last week. I won't re-preach it, but it is important to us. And so I want to tell you that it's one of the pastors tasked with overseeing worship here. When we see obstacles that make it difficult for you to worship, we try to move them out of the way. And when there's some things that we know we can put in place to help you worship, but we try to put those things in play to the extent that we can. So if you come in here and you think, man, it's great. I love it. Well, that's good. I'm encouraged. I love it too. But also, as someone charged with shepherding worship in this house, I have to tell you that if you get to a place where you demand something to be able to worship the God that saved you, you're missing out. If you demand a certain style of music to worship God, you're missing out. If you demand a certain song selection, you're missing out. If you demand a certain volume level, you're missing out. Matter of fact, as great as Sunday morning is, and it is great, and I'm going to tell you even why it's great, why you might not have thought about before in a little while. But if you even need this, if you demand this to worship the God that saved you, you're missing out. You know, I think that we forget something sometimes. I think we forget that worship isn't about us. It's about Him. It's not about me. Believe me, I can tell you that. I get the privilege of being able to pick a lot of the songs that we do, and I promise you, I'm not just picking, oh, what do I like? It's not about Nathan. It's not about Morgan doesn't send me a list. Here's the songs I just have to hear this week. Uh, if, I, if I'm going to worship God, you got to do That doesn't happen. We don't cater to a man in here. Nobody gets their preference. What we do is decide we're going to come in here and worship Jesus. With all our hearts, with all our souls. And when we do that, something happens. We begin to align ourselves, our own souls, with the social order of heaven. Where continual praise and worship is going on day and night. See, real worship can take you out of this world into another world. Into a world that you can't see, but is more real than the one that you can. Real worship also will create a supernatural exchange. See, when we come into God's presence, He gives us beauty for ashes. Gladness for mourning. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. See, real worship will allow us to step from this world and all that it entangles us with into a supernatural world where things are just different. Revelation chapter 4 describes a throne room of God where worship is going on all the time. It describes it something like this. It says, from underneath the throne of God comes sounds of lightning and peals of thunder. There's creatures that we can't even begin to describe. The great prophet John tried, but we get hung up on how many eyes and wings was that? I don't know. Crazy creatures, but here's what they're doing. They're surrounding the throne, never ceasing to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then the Bible tells us, on top of that, there's elders gathered around, bowing down before Him, casting their crowns before Him, saying, Worthy is the Lamb to receive worship and glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. See, sometimes we think we're by ourselves. Maybe everybody's out having a good time and you didn't get the text. I didn't get invited to that party. I'm feeling lonely. I'm alone. Well, let me just tell you, worship can actually take you from a place where you think that you want to be into the throne room of God where you actually should be. In fact, you were made to be there. Sometimes when I'm alone and I just want to get into the presence of God, I might begin to just tell the Lord, I love you. I don't care about these other things. I don't care about what I got invited to, didn't get invited to, what I want, what I need. Oh, I just, I just want you for a minute. I just need you. I just want to tell you that I love you. And I might even begin to sing something like, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. All my soul rejoice. I pray that you take joy, my King, 
in what you hear. Oh, that it would be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. You know, I, I could just leave all of you for a minute. When I even start to tiptoe around that place, something just wants to pull me all the way in. When you feel alone and out of place, let me tell you something. You can worship your way into a place where you actually belong. This is good news. When you're feeling sad and sick or you're woken up in the middle of the night and the stresses of the day are coming on you and things are, are, are clouding your mind, just remember this. The Bible says that you're actually not alone. The Bible says that there's a great cloud of witnesses that surround us and therefore we should be able to lay aside every weight that so easily entangles us. And so I want to encourage you, lay aside the weight of what's going on and get into the place where you belong. So there's two revelations about worship that will help you and want us to know that it's always going on. Always. The second one is to remember that Jesus died to give you access to that place. We talk a lot about the fact that Jesus died to save us from our sins. And I'll be sure that is one of the reasons that he died. But he also did something else. See, for 4,000 years, the people of God were under the pressure cooker of the law. They had no access to God. Only the priest did, and even that was very limited. And then Jesus comes along, and out of nowhere, he breaks the top. Off of the pressure cooker, he rids the veil. He says, oh God, here's your people. Here's your father. Come and have access. He made a way for us literally where there was no way. And when we begin to see the love that laid down his life to give us access to everything he has access to, listen, it should provoke your heart to worship him. It should provoke your heart to love him. And oh, I pray that we would be a church that even moves past the love and respect of God and to become people that actually adore God. We can adore him for who he is. It's wise to remember what Jesus gave up so that you could get in. On Friday night, when you're out running around doing what you do, just remember this. There's still a worship service happening. And oh, don't forget what Jesus gave up so that you could get in. On Monday morning, when you're preparing yourself for the week and the stresses of all that's coming on you is beginning to weigh you down, just remember there's still a worship service going on. And don't forget what Jesus gave up so that you can get in. When you're on Facebook, you're following your computer, reading the latest salacious headlines, and it begins to get a hold of you, get entangled with it, just remember there's a worship service going on. And oh, by the way, don't forget what Jesus gave up so that you could get in. When you're watching whatever it is you watch on television, hang on. I can't preach about television. or I might I get to preach again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, by the way, there's some things you just can't watch on television and worship God at the same time. I have to tell you, that's for free. But when you're watching television, whatever it is you watch, just remember there is a 24-7 worship service going on. And oh, by the way, don't forget what Jesus gave up so that you and I could get in. See, I think a big reason that we struggle with, with worshiping God outside of these settings sometimes is because we just get so easily distracted with all the things going on around us. We get distracted with what's happening in the news or with our job or our families, our kids. Maybe we get distracted by people that we surround ourselves with continually that don't want to get all the way in. See, I think the trouble is that sometimes we're far too easily satisfied with a microwave self-serve experience with God. So we come here and we get up, but we go back out there and we fall down. Sunday morning comes, we're standing up again. Friday night, 11 p.m., falling down again. 
Lord, I will. Oh, I won't. I think I can. Now I can't. I sure do want to, but I don't think I can. Why does that happen? Have you heard the story about little Johnny's trouble sleeping? Let me tell you this. Little Johnny, about three years old, little guy. Mom sends him off to bed, blows him a kiss, off you go. Middle of the night, mom's asleep and she hears boom. And she goes running. Little Johnny, little Johnny, are you okay? She finds him in there. Yeah, mama, I'm okay, but I just fell out of my bed. Oh, Johnny, I'm sorry. Just get back in the bed. You'll be okay. Okay, okay, mama, I'll be okay. Next night comes around. Good night, sweetheart. 3 a.m. rolls around. Boom! Little Johnny. Mama's running. Little Johnny, little Johnny, you okay? You okay? Little Johnny's standing there. Yeah, mama. I'm okay, but I, I fell out of my bed again. Oh, baby, I'm sorry you fell out of your bed. Little Johnny says, Mama, can you fix it so that I don't fall out of my bed anymore? Mama looks at little Johnny and says, Oh, baby, that's real simple. You keep falling out because you never got far enough in. You fall out of bed because you don't get far enough in. You fall back into the ways of the world because you didn't get far enough into God. You fall back into unforgiveness and sin and all the things that begin to trap you. And it's because sometimes I really do believe that we just didn't get far enough in with God. You know, Galatians 5.16 gives us the truth. And I just got to tell you, either you believe your Bible or you don't. And here's what it says. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. Did you know that? Sometimes we're not all the way in because we're busy trying to quit sinning. I, I need this truth, but you need this truth. Don't let the devil twist it when I say this. Some of you need to quit trying not to sin and start trying to get in to the presence of God. Because as you walk in the Spirit, you cannot carry out the deeds of the flesh. Listen, I implore you, I encourage you, press in all the way in. If you ever got so tangled up, wrapped up in God... Oh, where you can just feel his love, feel his warmth. It all becomes about him. Nothing else matters anymore. You will get to a place where you don't need an organ. You don't need a guitar. You don't need a piano. You don't need a singer. You don't need drums. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a worship leader. The only thing you need is hunger for God. And when you get into that place, yeah, when you get into that place in the presence of God, what you find is the peace of God will come all over you. You'll find joy that you can't understand. The Bible actually says in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Find you're not a joyful person. Maybe you need the presence of God. Sometimes I think our problem is, is that we think too much and we worship too little. We start thinking about the troubles of the day and we immediately begin to experience the stress and anxiety. And we start thinking, I need peace, I need peace. But here's the problem. The Bible says peace is not something that you or I can understand. Peace can only be experienced. Let me show this to you. Philippians 4, 7 says this. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this is why we need to learn to worship no matter the circumstance. Because as we worship and as we meditate on and as we adore our Savior, we begin to experience Jesus Christ ministering peace to us. But if we don't ever get far enough in, Miss out on the peace. Some of you may be saying, that sounds good. I want to get far enough in, but how do I do that? Well, you do that by the way of consecration. If you need more of the peace of God in your life, I want to suggest to you that what you may need is more of the presence of God in your life. When you get more of the presence of God in your life, you begin to experience the peace that comes along with it. But if you want more of the presence of God in your life, it's good to know how you can attract it. The Bible's not quite as mysterious as it seems. 
The Lord's given us ways to attract the presence of God. There's a lot of them. I'm just going to give you a few of them. The first one is this. Become wholehearted. Second Chronicles describes the Lord. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout all the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. Did you know that? Did you know that right now, right now, the eyes of the Lord are roaming this earth to see who's in trouble, who's in pain, who needs a touch, and whose heart is fully devoted. Have you ever been in a fight that you can't win on your own? You need some help? Maybe it's a fight in your head, maybe it's a fight in your heart, maybe it's a fight emotionally, and you think, gosh, I just, need, I just can't get out of this. Well, the Bible tells you if you want to attract the presence of God to actually bring you strong support in your time of trouble, become wholehearted. That means back to the first revelation, by the way, humility is not about me, it's about you. I'm all for your glory. That will attract the presence of God. Number two, brokenness. Brokenness. Psalm 51 says this, a broken and contrite heart of God, you will not despise. Did you know that when someone comes broken before God, he would actually have to violate his own nature not to come and be with you in that moment? Brokenness attracts the presence of God. Let me just tell you a little thing about brokenness. There was a time in my life, 12 to 15 years ago or so, I was leading worship at some other churches, and the truth is I, I didn't have any business doing it. I wasn't a broken man. I was a selfish man. I was a prideful man. My life was about me. I, I even would come play music because I like people to tell me, hey, good job. I would come into the house of God, and I would see the glory of God fall on other people. And then I would mistake, I would deceive myself into thinking that their experience validated my condition because I happened to be there. Nothing could be further from the truth. I was selfish, I was sinful, I was caught up in my ways, and I got really good at sort of searing my own conscience every time I would feel a prick from the Lord. No, 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 I'm okay. Just look, look at what God's doing all around me. Everything must be okay. And so layer upon layer upon layer of hardness began to develop over my heart. <clears throat> I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but eventually the day of reckoning came. The day of breaking came. And the hammer of God fell hard. <clears throat> it was painful. It was difficult. But what I found at the end of it was that the glory of God had come to me. You know, I'm not perfect by any means. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. I still battle with the same things everyone else does. But let me tell you something. When my pride and my arrogance sneaks up, when she says, you're being prideful, it hurts to hear. But let me, if I become addicted to anything, it's brokenness. Because it attracts the presence of God. So when I sense all of that coming and I feel the, the desire, the need to start to sear my conscience, believe me, I say no to that. Not only because of the pain that it took to press through it all, but because being broken attracts the presence of God. I'm going to move on. Thirdly, two parts. We can attract the presence of God by tapping into our historical tradition and through corporate praise and worship. The Bible describes our heritage of faith as people who would daily bring sacrifices of praise and worship and other things to the house of the Lord. It was a part of their daily practice to sacrifice before God. Worship's unique in that when we worship God, we can actually be connected to our heritage and our inheritance at the same time. We can tie ourselves back to what the people of God have been doing all along and tie ourselves to that Revelation 4 throne room of where we all are headed. 
This also happens in corporate worship. Corporate worship actually attracts the presence of God. Let me show this to you. Here in uh, 2 Chronicles 5.13, it says this, They gave praise and thanks to the Lord. They raised their voices. They praised the Lord with these words. So they're coming together in the temple, and they're singing and crying out to God. And they're saying this, uh, He is good, and His loving kindness endures forever. On and on, they keep doing this. And the Bible recounts that while they're praising, the glory of the Lord, His presence like a cloud, came into that room. And the presence of God was so strong, the priests were unable to even minister. See, when we come together, it attracts the presence of God. If you need more of the presence of God in your life, this is for free as well. Come to church. Come to church. Listen, it's not a sales pitch for Mosaic, but it is a sales pitch for the Bible's true. And it says, when my people gather, I'll be in their midst. And so if you need more of God's presence in your life, well, come do it with us. I love it. I live for Sundays. I love them because I know God's going to be here. Just like I know if I stay broken, he's going to be here. Just like I know if I'm wholehearted, he's going to be here. You need the presence of God. Come in here. Now, here's another thing about the temple. We just read about the glory filled the temple. That's the old covenant. The Bible says that we are, new covenant believers, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is really interesting to me to think of ourselves as, as temples. The Bible also calls us the image bearers of God. We're made in His image. I used to wonder a lot when I would read the Old Testament why God made such a big deal about other images. I mean, I get it that He only wanted them to worship Him, but we find times where there's all these people that do worship and serve Yahweh, and somebody slipped an image or an idol into the camp, and now all hell breaks loose. Why is that? Well, I think it's because of this. I think because if God had an idol, it would be us. See, there's only one thing worth making an image to replicate. That's him, we are it. And that's all he wants. But if we want to image him, if we want to be what God intended, an image bearer, then we have to be filled with his glory to do that. And that happens through consecrated life and to worship. I'm going to close down here in just a minute. Some of you may be sitting here today saying, that sounds good, that sounds great, but you don't understand me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know my pain. And Well, maybe that's true or maybe that's not, but here's what I do know. We all reach a time where we need some things to change that we can't change ourselves. We need freedom from some chains, and we're too busy down here trying to untangle them. When you're never going to get loose of them in the first place. We need freedom sometimes from a, a prison to soul. We put ourselves in prison because of our own anger, our lust, our greed, our, our unforgiveness. But sometimes you find yourself in prison, maybe because you tried to help somebody and it blew up in your face. You got hurt and you don't know what to do. We heard a really great word last week about forgiveness. And I do want to say that I couldn't agree more. Forgiveness is very important. In fact, Jesus says that if you don't forgive others of their sins... Your Father won't forgive you of your sins. So yes, forgiveness is important. If you believe Jesus, eternally so. But sometimes you can be in that prison. And maybe the doorway out is forgiveness, but it's so dark. It's so deep, you can't even see it. What happens? What happens when your pain becomes your chains? Well, here's why it's wise to be a worshiper. There's a story, you don't have to turn to it, I'll set it up for you. In Acts 16, the Bible says that Paul and his crew were on their way to a place of praise. They're going to, to, to the house of God, they're going to worship. They're going to pray. And as they're working their way through this town, the Bible tells us about a little girl who's possessed by a spirit of divin divination. What that means is she's a fortune teller, she reads minds. She's possessed by the devil. She's following them around, shouting out. She's even saying some true and good things about them. And so Paul tries, the Bible says for three days, basically he just ignores her. 
Let's just do our thing. Don't worry about her. And finally, it's kind of funny. The Bible actually says that Paul became greatly annoyed. And finally, he turns around and he casts the demon out of this girl. The problem is, is the girl was a slave. And the way that she made money for her slave masters was to tell people's fortunes. Now they can't make money. So they drag Paul and Silas to, to the leaders of the town. He's taking away our means to earn a living. Next thing you know, Paul and Silas are being beaten and thrown in prison. Not just level one, two. They're down in the basement. Handcuffs weren't good enough. The Bible says they had to have shackles on their feet as well. And I thought, if I was Paul, I'd be sitting there thinking, I just set this girl free from a demonic possession, and now I'm in prison. What's up with that? But Paul does something interesting. He doesn't throw a pity party. See, he could have been sitting there looking, all oh, these chains, how did I get these chains off? How did I get these chains on in the first place? I don't know where they came from. I don't know why I'm here. I thought I did something good. I did something bad. I got to get the, I got I got to, and he can't get them off. That's how we spend our time. We're busy looking at our chains. Paul gives us a better example. Let's look really quickly here. Acts 16, 25 says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Paul didn't throw a pity party. He started a worship service. See, what happened is, is they were in prison, but instead of trying to pick the locks on their own chains, they decided to praise the God who was outside of the prison but had the power to reach in and set them free. And not only did they get free, look, everybody around them who was in bondage got set free. You want to bring, be a life-giving person? Start worshiping God. Let Him worry about your chains and the chains of everybody else. Now, if that wasn't enough, I'm going to close with this. Another reason to be a worshiper is because worshipers are sought after by God. So we live in a time when people are interested in being sought after. How many selfies have you seen today? Everyone wants to be sought after. Listen, I want to be sought after too, but I want to be sought after by the God that made me. Let's look quickly at our closing passage here out of John 4, 23 and 24. It says this, An hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For indeed, the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth, what does that mean? I've heard it described a few different ways. I've heard people talk about worshiping in truth means to read and study and come to know the knowledge of God. And I do agree with that. But as Jesus often does, when he says one thing, he's really saying about five things. So let me take you one level deep behind study. I think what Jesus may have had in mind was something like Psalm 51 that says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward parts. You make wisdom known to me in my inner parts. Or maybe it was Psalm 38 that he had in mind when he said, Oh Lord, all my desires are before you. All my sighing and pleading is before you. Nothing is hidden from you. I think when Jesus said, the Father is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, it's that what they experience in the spirit and what they're doing out here matches up with what's happening on their inner life. Truth in the hidden parts. You want to worship God in spirit and truth, start by getting a revelation of humility. Understand who you are and who God is. See all of that rightly then you can begin to move in to an area of true worship. I'm going to just close with this. i tell you what I think an authentic worshiper is. Take it or leave it. But I think authentic worshipers have to do these things. They have to become fools for Christ. They exchange cleverness for revelation. They exchange their preferences for the presence of God. 
They exchanged lusts of the flesh for the love of an almighty God who saved them. And then they're honest with themselves about what's really happening inside. See, they have hidden nothing from God. And now, being captured by His glory becomes their reason for living. We're going to worship in just a moment. We're going to sing some songs to God. This song has a lot of, of, of time and space, but there's not words to put in your mouth. That's so that you can let the words out of your mouth and say to God whatever you want to. I want to just pray for us quickly and we're going to move into a time to reflect and respond to what God's saying to us today. Lord, I thank you that you made a way. I thank you that you gave us access. Lord, I thank you for tearing the veil and showing us heaven. Jesus, I thank you for all that you gave up so that I could get into the presence of God. I thank you that when I look up instead of looking down, everything down starts to change because you have the power to change it. Thank you that you're a trustworthy God who never sleeps or slumbers and is always there when we want to press in. Lord, help us to press in. Help us to learn to be uh, living worshipers, that why we live would be to worship you. Lord, that we would come to be a people who exist, to bring glory to you and to be animated by your glory.